Why would I? <laughs> I just I think that you're just a liar. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe we're being recorded right now. Oh, here, here's my mic. Oh, okay. I, as usual, am your host, Tim Whitaker, joined by the ever-bearded and manly Jordan Renault. Hello. Hello. Um, welcome to the podcast. We took a week off uh, for the Thanksgiving holiday because yes. I have to always recover from the amount of food I eat. Can't think on a full stomach. Well, yes, but I can definitely sleep on one. So, yeah. yes. Um, Jordan, how was your Thanksgiving? Uh, it was great. I spent the day at my brother's with a whole lot of people. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a great day, really nice day. Do you think that uh, that that we should tell um, the folks out there our uh, our annual Thanksgiving tr- uh, tradition? Yeah, sure. All right. So I will tell this story. Um, <laughs> for the past ten years, we um, over here in New Jersey, some of these guys that I know, Jordan included, have this thing called the Turkey Bowl, and the Turkey Bowl is a very special thing because. For those of you who live in the East Coast area, Florida area, you are quite aware of the uh, convenience store called Wawa, which holds a very dear place in our heart. Um, Wawa is the kind of place where technically it fits in the genre of like a 7-Eleven kind of stop, but it's so much far beyond and so much better on every level that it's pretty much insulting to put it in the same category as a 7-Eleven. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. So Wawa's a place where, of course, they have the best gas. It's always cheap. They also have, you know, you can get free, or not free, Um, you can get really high-end, like, you know, subs and uh, sandwiches. and Really, really high-end. High end. Like, like, I would say two steps above a Subway high-end. Eh. No? I'd put it on par with Subway. I think it's slightly better. But anyway, they have stuff like, you know, like mac and cheese and different soups, kind of like a, a deli, and they make it for you right right, uh, right there. Right from uh, right from scratch. You just like the touchscreen computers. I do. I get so indecisive. But anyway, so so they have this thing every year called a turkey bowl, and a turkey bowl is an item that you can order. It's a hot food item, and it is mashed potatoes, stuffing, turkey and gravy, and cranberry sauce. For those of you who like cranberry sauce, in a, in a bowl. bowl, and it's amazing, and it's super um, super cheap. It's like five bucks, and it's super filling, and it's great. So. For the past 10 years, a bunch of us go to a particular Wawa, which is by the Columbus uh, Market um, by us, and we go there at 7 a.m. on Thanksgiving morning, and we set up chairs and tables and decorations, and we all dress up with ties and suits and whatever else we can, we can wear. We get a turkey bowl, and we have a Thanksgiving feast um, out on the front lawn of the Wawa, and then from there, we drive over to the flea market called Columbus Market, which is one of their busiest days of the year, and we walk around the market till about 9 or 9.30-ish. So, this year... Some years, we bring a live turkey. Yes, we have brought a live turkey that we put in, uh, like, on, on like, a... a it, was, it, was, it was like a, a harness, almost. Yeah, like a cat harness. And everything was great until it escaped, <laughs> and then we had to catch it. And that was yeah. uh, that was quite. There's a video. Ex- of yeah, that there's somewhere. a video. It's on Facebook somewhere. <laughs> so anyway, so this year, Jordan, as you know, and for everyone else out there, this was our tenth turkey bowl in a row, um, which is awesome. In mm. fact, at this point now, the workers know us. They they were ready. They they yeah. were prepared. The first thing they do when we walk in, Happy Thanksgiving, you know, and it's really great. So I started my day off with that, of course. Yeah, which was great, and just it's always a good time. Um, and then I went to my uh, my aunt's house where there was about thirty of us, and we had three turkeys, a lot of food. 
but we didn't eat till like 5.30 or 6, even though we got there at 2. So you snack mm. for like three and a half hours, yeah. and then you're full, but you're... To stretch the stomach. Right, but you feel obligated to eat because it's just like what you do. So anyway, and so that was... Italian, right? Yeah, Italian. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> That so that was my uh, my Thanksgiving. So anyway, well, I'm glad you had a good Thanksgiving, Jordan. Yeah. So let's go ahead and move on into um, one of my personal favorite sections, and that is what coffee are we drinking? Well, I'm glad you asked, listener. We are drinking <laughs> – can you pronounce this? El Cabal. El Cabal. Coffee de de altura. Ooh. <laughs> Exotic words. It's like in a, a Christmas story. Fragile. Must be Italian. <laughs> Must be Italian. Um, this is a, a blend that actually your brother, Jordan, Micah, gave me when he went um, to the Dominican Oh, uh, from the Dominican. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So it's very yeah, good. I had it. It was pretty yeah, good. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's an it's a earthier, uh, earthier flavor. Hold on. Let me, test, let, me, let me test it out again. Notes of dirt. Yes. Notes of dirt and bitterness are very present in this, <laughs> in this particular blend. So... Um, but yes, yeah, so that, that's what we're drinking today. I recommend it if you can go down to the Dominican and pick up a, a pound of it. Well worth the trip. Yeah, it's on your way home. So, yeah, on your way home. You know, after work, if you just want to swing by and pick up some some coffee. So, all right. So today, I want to introduce to all our listeners out there a new segment that we thought of about thirty seconds ago. Yeah. Called Christians in the News. I think this is a great idea, Jordan. It's a great idea. It's pretty good. It's a good idea. And it gives us an opportunity to take these things that are really not important. <laughs> yes. But we want to touch on yes. and give them their own couple minutes <laughs> so they don't become something that we talk about the entire podcast. That's right. You, you know, that, thank you. You summed it up better, That's better, the heart. better than I ever could. That's the heart behind it. We, wanna, we, we always see these, these articles that we go, why? Why is a Christian involved in this? And I want to talk about it, but I don't want right. to make a whole podcast episode out of it because it can get redundant and boring and it kind of might come across the wrong way. So instead, we'll make up a little segment. We'll spend maybe five or ten minutes on the tops and then we'll move on to other things. So, Jordan, do you want to share today's topic of Christians in the News? Uh, you can. Okay, I will. So I feel like you have a better grasp on it than I Oh, yeah, I have quite the <laughs> grasp, let me tell you. So about two days ago... I look at my news feed on Facebook because, of course, that's where you get all of your legitimate news. I mean, if it's not on Facebook, it's not yeah. really happening. So I don't even have TV. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I look, and there is, is, is one of the Christian athletes that all the other Christians look up to as, like, you know, infallible. There is Mr. Tim Tebow on the news. And the headline – well, it wasn't even a headline. It was – it was a friend who like posted this long thing about Tim Tebow, about him being mocked, apparently. So apparently Tim Tebow is being mm. mocked and is coming under fire because the girl he was dating broke up with him because he would not have sex with her. Right. And he's being mocked for this. Yeah. The only problem, though, is that I can't find one article mocking him on this. Yeah, no. Have you found one? No. Because I really have searched. Like I Googled it. I go from link to link to link. I looked in the, on like the underground, like, you know, like news sites that never make it that you think, is this fact or fiction? Right. Nothing. How about you? No, nothing at all. Nothing at all. I heard like a very straightforward, like, this is what happened. Right. They broke up. Right. And this is why they claimed why. <laughs> there was no like mocking. Right. I don't know. So, but my feed, however, was the opposite. It was like Tim Tebow mocked for for keeping his virginity. Tim Support Tim Tebow. Yes, yes. Tim Tebow under fire because he wouldn't have sex with Do this girl. Do you think girl. Facebook will let us change our profile pictures to like be <laughs> tinted like Tim Tebow's face? <laughs> oh my gosh! I'm sorry. <laughs> You think that'll no, be a thing? No, it will not be a thing. Okay. <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. 
Um, oh, right. But I, I want to just mention this while in, in this segment because it again just Christians in the news baffling me. First off, the girl he was dating for a whopping month or month and a half right. was a model who posed nude in magazines. So obviously the worldview was already different. And I'm still trying to figure out why this is news, I, why this is such a big deal. A girl said, I'm not going to keep dating you because you won't sleep with me. And that's actually very, in a sense, honorable of her to say, you know what, this isn't going to work because we just right. have different worldviews. If, if we can't agree on, on sex and where we see it, then clearly we're not going to agree on, on other things. And then, But then people, especially Christians, start posting it and sharing it with the spin of, well, Tim Tebow's being mocked for keeping his virginity. No, he's not being mocked. He just happened to break up. He happened to be dating a girl that he probably shouldn't have been dating in the first place anyway because clearly their worldviews were night and day. And, they, and she yeah. broke up with them because, well, right. she, they, they just didn't agree. Honestly, I, I mean, I kind of give props to both of them because both Tim Tebow didn't give in to something that he doesn't Absolutely. believe in. And she said, hey, this isn't going to work because we have different views on this. Which, honestly, I agree with you, should have been Tebow's position from the beginning. Yeah. You know, you'd probably, I feel like that's something that would come up fairly quickly. Well, a month. <laughs> it came yeah. up. <laughs> I guess, I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess listen, it, I, again, yeah, hats off to Tim Tebow. He made a pledge. He's keeping the pledge. I'm all about it. That's great. That's integrity. He, she's a very pretty girl. Like, my, my yeah. hat's off to him. But... I'm surprised. Well, not surprised. I'm actually. I, I'm sorry. I'm. I'm not surprised. I am just. Uh, I don't have another good word besides surprised. But I'm. I guess I'm not surprised then that they broke up. But I'm also kind of wondering, like, well, where was since Christians are so opinionated and they definitely are. All you have to do is look at their Facebook. Where was the backlash about Tim Tebow maybe dating someone who wasn't even a Christian in the first place? So, right. I, I think, and I'm glad that there wasn't because it's not our job. I'm not, I'm not saying that we should have, but it just it, right. it's amazing, or it's just so kind of annoying that, of course, when something happens that we don't agree with, then all of a sudden, you know, oh, this is a big deal. You know, a non-Christian dumped Tim Tebow because he wouldn't sleep with her. What a good man he is. But when it comes to other things that the Bible speaks about, about, you know, well, maybe not dating someone who's not like-minded in the same way, probably, probably yeah. not a good idea. So, anyway, right. well... That's all I have to say on the matter. Neither of them changed each other's right. minds. Right, and I'm happy so. to hear it, and they should move on and live happily you know, in their lives for sure. Yeah. But Christians out there, he was not mocked. It's not a big deal. It's okay. It's okay. People are going to break up, and that's okay. It's not our business. <laughs> so anyway, enough of that because— They're now trending oh on gosh, Facebook, by the way. I don't care. I don't care. I don't <laughs> care. All right. Segment, segment over. Segment over right there. Hey, that was like three minutes. Yeah, not you know, bad. About— twice the time it deserved but yeah you're getting we're getting pretty good this podcast thing yeah the banter the banter's good it's all right well speaking of banter let's hop into today's topic because this one is is sure to be probably pretty opinionated on both sides and also is a pretty touchy subject so we're going to try and navigate these waters as tactfully as possible but i want to share with you jordan um and our listeners out there the story that I heard that kind of got me thinking about this, and in fact, when I was up with your brother last uh, last week, him and I also talked about this quite often um, in our time. So, uh, a friend of mine, we will call him Bob. I don't have a Bob in my life, but we'll call him Bob. He was um, he's part of a church, um, and the church I was kind of in and out of as well. I, I helped out there musically. Um, it was a little different, but to each his own. But the, the long story short, one of the, the pastors there, um, who was very close to my friend, they um, they had a, a pretty big falling out. But it wasn't so much a falling out, more than it was kind of like an aggressive 
control situation from from like someone in leadership there with that person who was super close to him they were in like the same band together as well so there's a lot of stuff that happened but my friend he got pretty burned by by that church in particular which really is no unfortunately is not really a a unique story it happens pretty often i feel like for better or for worse but in this case he was definitely in my opinion at least not at fault for what happened um and uh it turned out you know we uh about a couple months ago, it came out that that pastor was having an affair. And um, it kind of, of course, it's one of those things where hindsight's twenty twenty. but it's one of those, it's also one of those things where when you hear that, that news, you think that makes not sense, but okay, I can understand how that could be happening. Right. Because there were other things that, that, that as someone on the outside in was able to more clearly see than the person on the inside. But that's only one story out of several, including one that you and I know about Jordan in particular, about mm-hmm. um, um, a church you know down down in the south who had a pretty pretty big situation happen as well, where it came out that that the pastor of this particular church was having a very long affair with someone else in the church, and and, and also like a, a higher role, um, a higher pastoral right. role. And I was thinking, and I was talking to Jesse about this when I was in Saratoga about just how it seems like. Out of all of like the people groups that I know of, you know, like my friend group or my my coworker group or my church group, the the most that I hear affairs happen in are that church group. Out of any one of my groups that I'm aware of in my life, and I started thinking about that. I started thinking, why is that happening? And for the record, not every pastor is having an affair. You know, not every pastor is this way, but it happens often enough to where we're not. I'm not that phased by it anymore. I'm not like, whoa, that person. No way. Usually, it's like. Another one, you know, another another pastor. Yeah. And that mindset, as Jesse and I were talking, got me thinking even more about, well, what is causing that? I mean, what what happens in that situation? And truly, only only those people can know what happens. But I find that there are certain like um, consistencies in each story or in each version of that story that happened to where it leads eventually to something like an affair or pornography addiction or some other kind of just you know, sexual sin of some sort that leads to that. So today I want, Hmm. what I want to talk about, Jordan, and I want to get your thoughts on, I want to get your thoughts on why you think that's happening. I want to talk also about our, or I guess I want to ask the question, are we putting too much pressure on our pastors as a church? And are we kind of at fault here for the unrealistic expectation we put on these pastors um, to kind of just be like this, this perfect, holy, you know, ideal human and when they fall we we act like we're so shocked because how could that person do that thing but in reality they're still human you know they're they're still fallen they're still they're human they're not jesus they're not god they're not infallible and i find that when i have this unrealistic expectation of of a pastor and then i hear about the story of someone having an affair i end up thinking you know, my, my mind is kind of shattered for a little bit. I'm thinking, how could that person ever do that? But then I, then I have to be recentered around, well, they're human. You know, they're human. So I want right. to get your thoughts on that and kind of get your response on, you know, you and I both know several people who have been in that, that situation who have, quote unquote, in Christianese land, you know, they have fallen or, ha- or have had a, a moral failure, as we have to call it. What do you think is causing that? And how is that happening? Um, I'd say two things come to mind at first. I think the first one is that we do put a really high expectation of standard on these people in leadership in the church. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because I think the Bible also places a high standard on them. Um, but almost we do, we do it almost to the point where we're looking at them as someone who is uncorruptible. You know, they're, they can't 
do anything wrong kind of thing. So then when something does happen, it becomes a huge scandal because it's like so blown the opposite direction of what we thought was possible or what we thought this person was like. So I think it seems a, a lot, maybe it could seem a lot more of a, a big thing when it happens in the church than when it happens outside of the church. You know, I think it's outside of the church. Yeah, it could still be devastating to people and especially the people in that relationship and the people close to them. But it's not always a th- something where it's like there's hundreds of people looking up to this person and they just had an affair and then it, you know, blows through all those people the way it does in a church. So I think that's one side of it. And I think the other side is that often these pastors themselves are, can start to have that same view of themselves where it's kind of like, I am above this, you know, I'm above this possibility of anything like this happening, which really comes back to a pride issue in, in their hearts for sure. Um, but I think then on, on the practical side of that, what happens is that they don't take the same precautions as other people might. You know, like you think about like, you know, you're working in close proximity to someone else who maybe if you weren't married or you weren't, you know, in a relationship that you would be attracted to them, but you're going to take precautions that that doesn't ever do, nothing ever happens beyond, you know, the professional relationship, you know, but I think a lot of times when people are, are in that proximity in a church, those same precautions aren't necessarily taken because it's assumed that, oh, nothing, nothing would happen. We don't do that, you know, but, you know, it's the same human nature is there, you know, the same sinful nature is there in the heart that, you know, leads to that. Yeah. It it scares me a little bit. Um, and I was talking to my friend about this as well. And he said the same thing. He's like, dude, it scares me because I'm walking into marriage in July and I think, oh my gosh, like, am I going to be that guy? Am I going to be the one in 15 years from now having to confess to an affair that was hidden? And then I started thinking, well, what leads up to an affair to happen? What leads to that? And I think you nailed that. I think that there definitely are... Thinking that it will never happen. Well, yeah, I, and I, I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> Not that you should think it will right, happen. but you should be on guard. But you should take... Yeah, exactly. You should yeah. take the same... Be on guard and take the same precautions that you would... In any other situation, yeah, Jesse and Erica and Erica and, and I, we had a really good talk about that again in Saratoga, and you know they've been married for I think almost ten years ago. This is their ten year anniversary coming up, um, yeah. And I was asking them like, what do you guys do to protect the marriage? Because I can only, especially as as a follower of Christ, we believe that that there is an enemy out there who does want us to mess up, who does want to push us off that ledge to do something that we would really regret, like an affair. So not only do we believe just in the natural tendencies of humans to be fallen, but also that there's someone out there kind of who wants to stop the the kingdom of God from actually happening as well. And Jesse and Erica were saying that, you know, when you first get married— you kind of plant this seed in the ground and you want to protect it because it's a seed and it's new. And as you water it and you give it sunshine, it kind of starts growing. The bigger it gets, the more you kind of want to keep your, you start taking your hands off of it because it's becoming more self-sustaining. You're in a rhythm. It's growing by itself. But that's, mm. that's when, it, when a lot of those things happen is when your hands are off and you're not trying to protect what you were given, that, that, that plant of marriage. Um, that's when things sneak in that you would never see because you're not thinking about it, you know. Well, I've been right. married for ten years. Talk, getting lunch with this particular woman won't be, you know, isn't a big deal. I've been, ma- I'm a married man. I would never do this. Those exactly. steps, I think, lead to what we see. And like you said, Jordan, I think you really nailed it. But because the pastor is often the most public figure in the church, 
preaching moral guidelines in truth. They're the ones on stage saying you shouldn't have an affair. They're the ones saying that we shouldn't watch certain movies. They're the ones saying that, you know, that um, that you know, we, we, we shouldn't steal or lie or you know also in, in, or have affairs. Right, or have affairs and here's <laughs> and here's what God's word has to say about that. So they're the ones who are espousing that moral truth. So automatically, by definition and, and kind of by default, you associate what they're saying with with an action. So well, if they're if they're preaching this, they must live by this truth as well. Right. But then we find out that a lot of times they're not. They're not. Um, and I think that, that that's what hurts people so much is that they kind of trusted the church with with almost like kind of parts of their heart. They trusted them. They trusted that pastor to speak truth into their lives. They trusted the pastor that the money wasn't being embezzled. And all of a sudden it, come, it comes out that not only was the money not where it's supposed to be, but hey, now the pastor's having an affair. It's like, what is going on? I feel like I've been lied to about these things. So there's no doubt that 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 cliche Spider-Man quote with great power comes great responsibility, um, which is true because once that that responsibility is is broken, once that trust is broken, it's so difficult to get the trust back. It's it's really difficult. So I think that that like what you were saying that that those two things are um, can definitely contribute to that mindset that can lead to big things. Um, and I think that that the repercussions of that are huge because we've seen churches fall apart. Um, over pastors, you know, coming out with an affair or with something like that. I mean, the the one pastor that both of you and I know uh, down down in the south, it was a ten year long affair. I'm sorry, not ten years, uh, two years. The church was started ten years ago, and then the affair came out, you know, within two years. But that that's still a long time to hide something. So I think right. that also adds to that layer of skepticism as well. Is that how do we know that the person that we're putting in charge of things is living an authentic life, which that would lead then into accountability, which I'm sure we'll get into. But anyway, yeah, mm-hmm. all that to say, Jordan, I, I agree with you. But my question is, though, is that is part of that caused by us as a congregation, as church people, putting that expectation on the pastor? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I don't think we should ever expect another human being to be perfect. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you look at Scripture and the... Uh, qualifications for leadership in the church, and I know you want to get into like what the role of a pastor really is in a church. Um, but even you know, like in First Timothy, where it's talking about the qualifications for um, it uses the term overseer or leader in the church. Like, there's this long list of things that are pretty high standards. Like the Bible is holding these people to high standards as well. And I think the problem is a lot of times. I mean, we we forget that those standards that the Bible is talking about are like standards for people to be getting into leadership to begin with. I don't think we even look at that a lot of times when we set someone up as, you know, the leader of this church, the pastor of this church. I think in our minds, the qualifications are usually more like, well, did he go to Bible school? You know, like, is he a charismatic person? You know, is he good at talking in front of people? And we're not looking at all these things that the Bible outlines that are like uh, self-controlled, hospitable, like, yeah, yeah, not quarrelsome, not violent, but gentle, like those things, like, I mean, we're, we're talking about like affairs and stuff that like are these huge blown out things that always come up in um, these situations, but we forget about sometimes it's much more subtle things that are a problem when we're talking about a pastor or a leader in church. It's, you know, this almost violent, quarrelsome nature where they're not approachable or, you know, they have 
problems, you know, working with people in the church. And like those things are all laid out in scripture that they're, these are not, these are the qualifications of this person. And it's a high standard, but I feel like we're holding, we're not holding them to that standard when we're putting them into leadership. And then we're expecting them to live up to that once they are. Um, And I think the other thing too, that is an issue is, you know, when we were, we've mentioned this a couple of times when we were doing that study with the uh, um, unchristian book, and it's talking about the different perceptions that the world has about Christians. And one of them was that we're hypocritical. Um, And that's something that comes up and a claim that's made a lot in these situations that when the pastor's preaching something and preaching these moral things, and then he comes out that he's not adhering to that, he gets labeled as a hypocrite. So the, the, uh, remedy to that you know that the book was talking about is not um perfection right. perfection is not the opposite of being a hypocrite it's transparency so it's being open really open with who you are and you know your imperfectness right. the whole time right. not that you need to lay out all of your struggles on a sunday morning from the right. pulpit but right. at the same time like you want to be a person that has an inner circle of people where and this is, comes back to the accountability where those things are laid out in front of those people. And from the pulpit, you know, just being honest with your congregation. And it's not that a future would, that there are any pastors that we know would ever get up in front of the people and be like, yeah, I'm perfect. I never do anything wrong. But they never say the opposite either. They never, you know, there's probably a lot of pastors out there that never make a point to make sure their congregation knows that they are human, that, right. they, that they do struggle with things, right. even if they're not going to name them specifically, you know, but that they are the same as them. Here's my, here's my problem, though, all right? And this, this is kind of my bigger point. I don't know if we set the pastor up for success uh, when we put extra roles on him that are not supported in the Bible. I mean, a pastor oh, yeah, in our day and age really means the all-in-one. It means that the pastor can teach, he can also preach, he can also pastor people, he can also show up to every funeral, he can also be infallible as far as how his temperament is. I mean, we put all these combinations into one guy and we go, okay, now do it all. And then before you know it, that person's burnt out in five to six years, 10 years, and goes, why am I doing this? Well, biblically speaking, in fact, even what we just talked about regarding the qualifications of a pastor, it's in Titus 1, it's not qualifications of a pastor, it's a qualification of an elder. And, that's, right, and yeah. there, there is no other, you're not going to find anywhere in scripture that says for a pastor, uh, pastor role, here's the qualification. In fact, the word actually, well, the actual word pastor, it's only mentioned once or twice. We kind of assume yeah. pastor because of, of just what we read into it via our culture. But my big part point is that I don't know if the one lead pastor role is really like a super biblical role to have in a church setting. And by biblical, I don't mean that it's sinful to have. I just don't know if it sets anyone up for success in the best way. Because even, I believe it's in Ephesians, when Paul talks about pastor, he mentions the other four giftings as well. He says that he gave some to be pastors, some to be teachers, evangelists, prophets, and apostles. Those are five full roles that, when working together well, make up a very successful church. But, But I feel like we've ripped out the pastor um, um, name um, out of that that uh, that five, and we took that one. And we kind of combined all the other ones into it. We kind of got rid of the prophet and the apostle because they freak us out. But the evangelist, the teacher, and the pastor—well, those are the three big things that every pastor, right. quote unquote, must have. 
but yeah. I don't know if that's biblical. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that the model given in that passage is very much more sounds like a at least five different people, you know. Not that you 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 can't have more than one of those giftings. I don't think that's impossible. But I think to expect I totally agree with you to expect one person to fill all those roles is kind of ridiculous. And I think another problem with uh, expectation is that I think to be really good at any one of those things, they all require different types of people right. to be good right. at them. So it's almost impossible, I feel like, for one person to be, you know, that good shepherding, kindful, kind pastor, you know, which means shepherd, you know, that exactly. needs to be gentle and in people's lives and working with them. Um, is a different personality than the person who's going to be, you know, doing the work and studying the Bible all the yes. time so they can get up in front of people and teach. Well, think about morning. it. I mean, I know plenty of pastors that are amazing teachers and not gifted at really pastoring. They just, they, they're not, right. and they're not people nothing person, against people, them. People. They are, gr- <laughs> I mean, when, when they teach, I am hooked. But when I get coffee with them, I'm like, Hello? Is anyone listening to what I'm saying? You know, it's like yeah. almost awkward. They're probably thinking about their right, sermon. Which is fine. <laughs> I also know amazing pastors who would want nothing more than just to spend all their day with people, discipling, pouring into, and being there, but are not great teachers, or or they find teaching exhausting. They yeah. find it just oh so draining on them to spend time alone in a room trying to plan for a sermon. But because of our church culture, especially here in the states, we've merged the roles mandatory. We we said no, you have to be able to do both, which I don't think is fair. Because again, if we had like if we had a model where it was more than one or two pastors, it was a team of people who were splitting up certain roles well, and they each kind of took the role that that they were gifted in and accomplished that, you would have a much different church culture. But the problem is that we believe that in order to be a pastor, you must get paid full-time. And you cannot have a team of five people that you're paying full-time because that would require almost all the funds of the church. So this really comes back to me, or in my opinion, back to a money issue where, where we find it that if you're a pastor, you can only be a pastor if you're getting paid full-time to be a pastor, which I don't, again, I don't think is that accurate because even when Paul talks about giving, he talks about giving, giving to certain needs. He talks about giving, giving you know, uh, to certain widows or orphans, but there's no huge mandate that every pastor in every church must get paid to support their family. And then what happens is that the poor pastor has a family to support, so they feel like, well, if I can't get money from this church to pay me well to support my family, I'm in trouble. So then they, they I think, I feel like they feel obligated to start kind of like preaching whatever kind of sounds better or building up their Sunday morning to make it more attractive to get more people, to get more money, to feed their family. So I, I feel like they get put into a really awkward spot where we're saying, well, we'll pay you, but we can only pay you like $10,000 a year. And the pastor goes, well, I have a family to support. If it was just me, I could care less, but I have a family. So I got to find ways to grow the church to be, you know, just more financially dependent on my own. Now that's not the only reason I'm sure any pastor wants to grow their church, but I am confident in saying that it's a big deciding factor in what they do to grow their church. Yeah, I agree. No, I, I think you're right. And, and I've always been uh, a supporter of um, paying a pastor for the, and my thought behind it is, you know, I would really love for that person to be able to be dedicated to doing that role full time. Right. You know, if, if a pastor and a, and a, a teacher and an apostle and an evangelist all separately in a church could be doing their roles 
full time wholeheartedly um, and be paid for that, that'd be amazing. But you're right. The reality of it is that the majority of churches can't afford to support right. that. So it's true that that's what it comes down to is a lot of times we're, we're putting that all on one person because that's the person that we can pay full time. Um, when in fact, yeah, I mean, I think that if a church can't afford to pay multiple people to do that, then they shouldn't be paying anyone full time to do that. Um, I don't know, man. I just feel like this, a lot of this comes down to just the idea of, you know, if money wasn't an object as far as paying someone full time, a lot of our churches, I think would look different. But I feel like we often need this. We have this obligation that we have to pay these people some, something, and we should. If 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 they're relying on us to to pay them, then we have to pay them. We can't not pay people. That's not fair to the to the pastor or his family, right? Yeah. But again, I feel like it just puts this huge burden on both the pastor and the church. It puts especially church plants. And I was part of a church plant for the past year and a half. It is really stressful to know that you have like forty people coming out and that they're not. Uh, giving any money and the pastor is freaking out about how he's going to pay the bills. And you're like, oh my gosh, the, I'm stressed for him. And it, again, but yeah. it's this obligation of, well, like I'm a pastor, you know, like I have to do this full time. I can't be, I can't have a dual um, focus on both, you know, a career or a job and also being a pastor. So I, I don't know, man, I, I really get jammed up here because I feel like when you combine all these things together, the idea of one pastor runs the show with like some, some sub pastors underneath of him. And you combine that with the obligation to pay all these guys. And it just kind of grows into this big bubble. And you're like, how do we do all this with like the resources that we're giving people? We're kind of cutting them off. I feel like, you know, um, yeah. I just don't know. Yeah. yeah. I think sometimes it's hard to, to directly translate like the model set forth in the the early church in the first century into our western culture right now um obviously you know the principles that are given in the new testament are still things that we need to be following but when it comes to like the detailed stuff that it doesn't really address specifically like how exactly should we be paying the leaders in our church right. and supporting right. them you know, I don't know that it works the same way as it did back then, because really, you see the model in the, the, the first century church, it's everyone gave what they had and had everything in common. So if the pastor had to spend his entire week, you know, doing things with the church and wasn't able to put any time into his trade or the other way that he made money, there were resources there for him that he could have to support his family and keep going. And unfortunately, I don't think it really works that way now. First of all, I don't think people in the church are giving, you know, as generously as they could Mm -hmm. be. You know, that's a real thing. Like, you know, and we talk about, yeah, we should be giving joyfully and not out of compulsion, like the Bible says, but we should be giving. You know, like, if we're not giving at all, that's a problem too. Um, Because it does lead us into situations like this where, if a lot of the churches that we're talking that we're thinking about as we're talking if the people in their church were giving generously as much as generous as they could like if they were honest with their finances and being good stewards of that and giving as much as they could to the church and the church was using it wisely we could have you know five people in full-time leadership positions doing these different things and it would be easily supported and that's obviously just one side of the problem that's not the i'm not saying that's the only right. issue right. is that we're not giving the church enough money um 
like I said, it comes down to also where's the church spending that money? You know, right. are they do, it, investing it in people that will invest back into the community and will invest into evangelizing, you know, the, the community around them? Um, or are we putting it into, you know, bigger sound systems and more buildings? buildings I think you, know, that, you can get I into that, that too. That's a really big skepticism of the millennial generation is that we are very aware of when someone genuinely wants our money for good things or wants it for bad things. Or we're too, or we're, we're almost like too sensitive to that because we're, we grew listen, we grew up in a culture where everyone wants our money. You know, everyone on the commercials wants my money. You know, all the companies that I buy stuff from wants all my money. People want my money. And so when I yeah. hear people who are quote unquote, you know, men of God who are pastors um, on TBN uh, saying, you know, hey, uh, here's a prayer rack for $300 that, you know, if you give us that money, it will cure you of something. And you go, well, this is totally a crock that that carries over into into anyone in, the, in that sphere. So I feel like whenever I hear a pastor talk and they go, don't, you know, God says to test him with money and that he will open up the storehouses. I almost kind of feel like, dude, like, what are you what are you trying to say? Are you saying that if I give you money, God's going to give me more more money in return? First off, isn't that a backwards way of thinking? Second off, that's in the Old Testament, which, by the way, might I add, there is no mandate at all in the New Testament to give 10%. That's an Old Testament uh, um, law, which you can, you can carry over to the New Testament. I've heard pastors say, well, if the Old Testament is 10%, the New Testament is 100%. I, I get all that, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm on board. But what I am saying is that, again, this goes back to just that huge burden that a lot of these financial things put on people. When you have, um, you know, a Sunday morning service that looks more like a U2 rock concert and you need to pay for that stuff every Sunday, of course, somehow you have to convince people to give you money on in some way, shape or form to pay for this stuff, especially when you're not charging something, you know, when you're not a business, when you're a nonprofit, but the, the, but the person who comes out every Sunday expects 30 intelligent lights, a full band, well mixed, you know, in a dynamic pastor that costs something. And that person should be giving a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> the person expecting that show. Yeah, I guess. I mean, no, it's it, true. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it is it, a lot of it comes back to money. Um, but I think, before that, it comes back to our heart because it's like, you know, if I really believe that, you know, the church is uh, Christ's model for advancing his kingdom and for, you know, his kingdom here on earth until he returns, then I sh my heart should be in that holy. And that should be reflected in my finances. It should be reflected in, you know, what I do. And that's the same for me as someone who who goes to the church and is a quote unquote member of a church um, as, and that should flow through the leadership of the church too, that, you know, we should be expecting, we shouldn't, you're right. We shouldn't be expecting one person to do all these things, you know, and they shouldn't be expecting themselves to be perfect and we shouldn't be expecting them to be. Yeah, perfect. you're right. But, but, but that's, that's what happens because the, no, because yeah. the, the church, when I, when I say church, I'm talking about like the leadership of the church. That's all that they do. Like, no, I have not, I have yet to meet one church body that really covers or entails like a five-fold ministry of the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, the pastor, you know, an evangelist, and then, and sees them all as equal. There's always got to be like, like a top dog. Someone's always got to be in charge. And that usually comes back to the pastor. And we've made the pastor like, like the CEO of a church and I just don't see it in scripture, but we're so far in that. How do you change that? Because our church is run on that model. I mean, every church in America, all, you know, the majority, at least at least 90, 90 to 95% is run on a one pastor model. 
Now, the pastor might have other pastors. The pastor might have a worship pastor, a Sunday school pastor, which, by the way, again, nowhere in Scripture you're going to find those terms, but whatever. I mean, it's, is it wrong? No, but it's, again, it's, it's just not there. But we have all these sub-pastors, but it still ultimately comes down to the lead pastor's vision instead of a, a group steering the ship together. Um, and I feel like we can talk about this all day. We can, and, and, and pastors can even say, listen, I'm, I'm not perfect, I'm infallible, which is great. But when you are showing the opposite, when you're saying one thing and your actions are completely different, it creates this whole like this whole like uh, contradiction in and of itself. It's one thing to say I'm infallible. It's another thing to to be the guy speaking about moral truth all the time and being the public spotlight for the entire church all the time and saying, oh well, you know, it's not about me. It's about the whole church. You know, no, it's not about me. I, I there's people behind the scenes. Yeah, but all you're showing the church is the is you, is you. And then we create right. like, this like this like celebrity models, this celebrity pastor idea because we love. Borrowing from culture about you know when it comes to Hollywood and glamour and and high end stuff, um, and now we have like these people who were pastors who kind of got like semi like famous who then had did really dumb things. I think about Mark Driscoll. He's like a prime example. You know, he I think he started a church with like the best intentions ever, and he's a really gifted teacher, super gifted probably a pretty bad pastor as we're finding out because he had no people skills he was super rude super contentious you know he loved to quarrel so maybe not a pastor but maybe a great teacher but because we have to roll him up into one big um you know package deal well you're mark driscoll then people start going out to his church just to see mark driscoll now we're we're, you can tell already where, where the slope is just spiraling down 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 because we're there for the wrong motives. Now people are going to see the pastor speak, not really there to worship communally. So this kind of thing creates all sorts of problems, and I'm afraid that unless unless someone just says, you know what, we're just going to change our model of church, even, even if it stings in the beginning, even if it's kind of weird in the beginning, someone's got to start doing it. Because it's this is I don't think that, that this church model is working well in our culture, because clearly we are losing the culture. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. No, I think... And I think there are churches out there that um, do more what you're talking about. I think of uh, some of my family, uh, some of my uh, uh, distant family, aunts and uncles, go to churches that have more of, like, they don't have any paid pastor. It's just, like, a bunch of elders that run the church, and they take turns teaching, and they all kind of fill those you know, pastor roles and teacher roles. And I think Rob's church is Rob's a little more like that too, like right? That. It's funny though that we see the, those, the churches that are actually run more like that. And obviously this isn't always a indication of success, but they're often very small, you know, like the yeah. churches that not a lot of people are attracted to. And maybe that's a good yeah. thing. Like you're saying, this big, you know, one person celebrity model um, might look good and it might be flashy and attract a lot of people in. But is it really impacting the community? Right. And I think it can appear like it is. And it can be a lot more so in sometimes just because they have with more people comes more resources and the more ability to do things in the community. Unfortunately, a lot of times that follows the big building and the, the big light show and that kind of stuff. Um, but it, it is good to see. And even my church where, I mean, we have a pastor who um, he's kind of the lead guy. But he's also, you know, part of a group of elders who are all equal in running the church and providing vision for the church. And yeah, he's the one that gets up on Sunday mornings and teaches, and he's an excellent teacher. 
But I think when it comes, it's cool because when it comes to more of the day-to-day pastoring stuff, he's there and doing that. But the other elders also step up into that a lot more. And I think that's what a lot of times it comes down to that um, we can't always afford to pay multiple people like you were telling, like you were saying before. Um, But we should always have those people that are willing to, you know, be volunteer and serve in a church that can fill those roles too. And a lot of times they are very much so behind the scenes, like you were saying, like we don't even know about them. Like they're probably there, but again, you see this one person that's up in front of everybody. Um, But I think it's important that we have those uh, elders in the church in the sense that, you know, they're people that have these giftings and are living out those giftings in the service, in serving the community, the church community. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah, well, yeah, you're right, and you're right, but it still frustrates me a lot. Because you know me, yeah. I like seeing change immediately. Like, okay, we see what's wrong, let's just <laughs> fix it, you know, no problem, here we go. But there's there are too many things that are tied into it all that make it, I think, difficult to change that model. We have a, a whole church culture that really believes or at least in action believes that the most important day for the church to do anything is Sunday morning. They believe that, that, that the most important spiritual time is a Sunday morning worship service. They are hooked on, on music you know, in the church, and if, if the music isn't good enough, they couldn't worship. So there, there are, are so many other—I mean, obviously we can go on for hours about this because— there are so many other things that are tied into this issue in particular, but kind of going back to to the role of the pastor specifically, um, it's amazing to me how people can read the word and know the word, but when it comes to stuff like this, I don't know where I don't know where the disconnect is. In fact, it makes me feel a little crazy sometimes because I'm like, am I reading the same book? Am I reading? Am I am I missing something? Because there's this huge line of people behind me who have always done the Sunday morning this way and have always run a church this way, but I'm reading the Bible, just at, just at basic even, even even face value, and what I'm seeing is it's just not this type of model. Um, and kind of going back to our bigger question in the beginning, you know, the answer that I find when it comes to, well, is it our fault for putting this pressure on the pastor or is it the pastor's fault for not putting safeguards in? The, the answer is probably both to yes. Um yeah, but until this model changes, I think we're gonna have a long list of, ca- of pastors as casualties because I've read studies that have been done, and I've read a lot of articles as as well. Pastors are leaving the ministry. They're, I mean, it's brutal. Like the the ministry, any pastor will tell you, it's really really hard. And I think some of that is to be expected. I think some of it is just is from us, is from just it's just man-made hardships that we've invented because we insist on doing things a certain way, even when they don't work that well. I mean, I've asked I've told people who are either in leadership or who are pastors, like, why don't we just do like like a why don't you just appoint five people to equally run things and let that kind of guide the church? And they're like, Yeah, it's a great idea. And it never happens. And I'm thinking, well, maybe it's me. Maybe maybe there's just there's just too much red tape to get through. I I don't know, Jordan. I don't know what what the answer is. All I can say though is that when it comes to these, just things that happen to pastors, the affairs, the addictions that kind of come out, we're gonna keep having this until until we figure out a way to keep pastors kind of in in community with the congregation and also accountable. 
um, just in, in a healthy way. You know, I think a lot of pastors kind of get isolated because it's so lonely. There's no one else that they can open up to because all those expectations are put on them. And uh, then it comes out that I'm oh, having an affair. And it's like, whoa, what happened? Well, I think part of that happened when, when there weren't when there were no men in his life asking him, hey, how are you doing? This is a safe place. What's going on? That kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, I definitely agree with you. It's, I think it's both. I think it's the expectations that uh, a congregation or a community puts on that one guy that they have put into the leadership position. And, you know, it's on them, like you said, to surround themselves with people that are going to keep them accountable and support them. Yeah. And I think that should more often mean, you know, someone else that can take on this important role in our church body so that, you know, because that's not an area that I'm super gifted in, you know, I might be a really great teacher, sure, but I need somebody else to be the people person right. because I, I'm not as good at that. I think, yeah, I think that's comes back to being honest with about your giftings, <laughs> you know, in leadership, not expecting to fill all the roles um, and then as a congregation, not expecting one person to fill all those roles. So I definitely think it is both. Um, and I'm thinking about actually Jesse's church up in New York. I think it's kind of cool. They have a really big church with multiple campuses. And they have, you know, their one guy that does all the teaching. And they broadcast it out to the other campuses. But one of the really, and, and a lot of people look at that and they're like, ah, that's so weird. I don't right. know if I'd, if I'd like yeah. that, you know, watching a pastor up on a screen. But it's really just the teaching. Right. And the cool thing that that allows for is that they have campus pastors who can fill much more of that pastor, shepherd, people, person kind of yeah. role in that local community, yeah. and they're getting the teaching is coming from right. somewhere and else. That pastor's really gifted. I've heard him speak. He or that, oh, I yeah. really call him a teacher too because he is super. He's good. definitely a teacher yes. because and yeah, I think it's 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 important that we look for the right things in our teachers too because I don't think. Like, if we're looking for someone who's just going to, like, inspire us and make us feel really good about ourselves, I don't think that's the role that it's talking about in the Bible right. where it says teacher. Right. I think it's someone that's going to understand the word in a deeper way and be able to communicate that to us in a way that challenges us and, you know, challenges us to change something about our lives. And that's not always a comfortable thing. It's not always right. something that people like yeah. to hear. Um, but I think that's really important. And I think the problem is where we get those big celebrity people is that we're not looking for a teacher. We're looking for a celebrity, right. <laughs> someone that we like to listen right. to, someone that tells funny stories and then gets real serious at the end so that we feel inspired. Right. Um, but often that's not what we need. Right. We need someone who can clearly communicate God's word to us, Yeah, you know, well, yeah. and that would help. I feel like that would help avoid you know, falling into that yeah. celebrity I trap. I mean, as one good closing thought, too, I feel like when you have one person doing all the teaching, you stifle the rest of the body from having a chance to give. There can be many people in that congregation who are really gifted teachers who know God's word well, but when it's one person every time, you kind of stifle that growth in the body as well. You know, there's no yeah. place to give and receive in that gifting. I think that comes back to what you were saying about our church taking place only on a Sunday right. morning. Because if our teaching is only taking place on a Sunday morning, then what opportunity is there for other people to do that? Right. I think if that teacher is teaching other people during the week 
and teaching them how to be good teachers. You know, what other people are there in the church body that have that gifting that this more experienced teacher could be calling up into that position and giving them opportunity to do that so that they can also be teachers in the church. I could agree with you more, man. Um, yeah, that, that that's so good, and I think we are like like you said, Jesse's church does that. There are places where that's happening. I, I there has been a huge uh, resurgence, I think, with millennials. There's a lot of them who are rethinking church in a good way and want to want to do church right and want to be part of that church body as a whole, not just a Sunday morning service. So that is reassuring. And you know, one final thought before we end it, um, you know, for those out there listening, Jordan and I, we had a we we were part of a really amazing community called Eleventh Hour. Um, that was not necessarily a church. It just kind of was a group of people all the same age, kind of just pursuing God as, as much as possible together in all ways. And at the time, especially when we were, when we were younger, when we were 18, you know, 19 and we had these part-time jobs and not much responsibility, we spent a lot of time together and it was truly amazing. It was some of the best times of our life period, um, stuff that we still talk about. And frankly, I would say, the majority of those guys that I met, I would still consider my inner circle of friends. I mean, those are the people that I'm still doing life with today, even though it looks a little bit different now. But um, at one point with 11th Hour, there was a leadership team appointed, about seven of us, and they ran 11th Hour. And the best part about that was, uh, was that I really got a chance to experience a team running a, some kind of body, some kind of church-like body together. And I got a chance to see how successful it can be when there's not one person who has the final say, but all seven must kind of give and take um, to come to some kind of conclusion. It was one of the most really amazing eye-opening times of my entire life. And um, and I think that that's why I'm so passionate about this because I have seen it work. I've seen a multi-leader group work really, really well when you see yourself as family first and then leader second. And that was one of the big things that we did was we knew that that before anything, we, we were friends and family first before we were fighting about leadership issues. Because if not, I think we, we probably would have lost it on each other quite a few times because there were so many times that we just, we just didn't see eye to eye or we disagreed, but the Holy yeah. Spirit worked through us, all seven of us, and they were long meetings, man. They were five, six hour meetings, meetings, and they were exhausting, but they were really powerful. And I think that's why I get so fired up about this because I've seen it work. I know it can work. And when it does work, it's a whole different culture you're setting up because there's not this, this curtain between leadership and the the congregation when no one's getting paid no matter what it's all volunteer the church leadership is still just friends you know like and we had the respect of the people in that group as leaders because they just they, they appointed us frankly and they you know they and they all we all agreed as a team that yes these seven people were going to entrust to kind of lead us during the season and then in a couple of years we re-examined and then we had a different set of leaders come in then we had no leadership come in and we kind of just had open meetings to kind of discuss so so there's a lot of really um there's a lot of really unique ways uh, and cool ways, um, really in biblical ways that that you can run a church body and that you can and that you can function without that are that that are um, besides just the one pastor role that we've come so accustomed to. Yeah, and I think that it that was definitely not perfect, you know. And and there's other models that are going to be a little bit different than yeah. that that aren't perfect either. Um, and I think it can work, you know, if if even if you do pay your leaders like i think it can still work i don't think money is 
being able to support them in and of itself is what causes this problem. Right. It certainly can contribute as well as a lot of other things. But yeah, I think you're right. I think the I just the idea of having more people in a corporate leadership kind of position is closer to the model that the Bible lays out. Yeah. Because one person can't do all those things by themselves. I couldn't agree with you more. So um yeah wow well good talk another hour it just flies by man that you know every time we start a podcast i think to myself how are we going to fill an hour and then i'll i look at the clock and i'm like oh my gosh that's an hour we're just getting started so yeah in fact, with jesse i think we went over about like 15 minutes i i just didn't care so um anyway well thank you again everyone for for listening in um we have a website of course coffee theology and jesus.com you can email us um do you know the email address i think it's info at coffee theology and jesus.com you can definitely give us your feedback tell us what topics you want us to talk about um thanks to everyone who listens i've been getting some really unique people that i had no idea listen listen to the podcast say i listened to the podcast and i loved it i'm thinking wow that is so cool so thank you so again everyone thanks so much for uh for listening and we will talk to you again next week and uh, yeah we'll talk to you then yep task is quite simple to play